Welcome to Faith in Capital, a show where persons and communities of Christian faith are invited to engage the system of capitalism theologically and ethically, or you might say from a faith perspective. I'm your host, Chase Tibbs. I know I said I was going to start a series on the primary goal of capitalism this week, the greatest commandment of the economic system in which we are all subjected to, but this one just wouldn't let me go. Part one and part two of this series are written to be listened to back and back, and they are both out for you now, so if you can listen to them together, great. If not, no big deal. In this episode, I want to do two things. One, I want to name the absence of capitalism in class in the popular analyses slash proposed responses of Christian theologians, authors, and pastors when discussing mass shootings. And two, I want to highlight the need for Christians to consider the political, social, and economic conditions in which these mass shootings, overwhelmingly committed by white working-class males, have emerged as normalized weekly events in our liberal capitalist quote-unquote democracy. In part two, I'm going to dive right into three ways I think capitalism has contributed to the production of the conditions in which these mass shootings have emerged. So if that sounds interesting, I'd love for you to check it out. And I especially encourage you to listen to part two sometime because that'll dive into some working class history and lots of discussion on the intersectionality of class, race, and gender. But for now, here's part one. In this series, we're going to barely scratch the surface of a very complex and harrowing reality. And its complexity simply cannot be fully discussed here. This is no attempt to offer a quick fix to the deeply rooted problem of mass shootings in the U.S., in which I believe are grounded in far more than we could ever really discuss in a simple series. When people say they know the solution to these mass shootings, they're either fooling themselves or flat-out lying. We exist in and create what could be described as a very complex organism. Some people refer to it as a society. And in this organism, no one event is the sole determinant of any other event. Instead, every process influences all other processes at all times. That being said, I do think we can identify the systems and structures and ideologies which profoundly shape and create the conditions in which certain events, including these mass shootings, have emerged. Systems and structures do matter. And by talking about this subject through a lens other than the more common mainstream modes of discourse, my main hope is that, as Christians, our analyses and our collective responses pursued with others who are seeking to actualize and materialize a more life-affirming world can take a more in-depth and radical turn, as opposed to the band-aid solutions offered to us by neoliberals and neoconservatives alike whom both leave our present social order firmly intact, as opposed to fundamentally transforming our social, political, and economic ways of being in relationship from the bottom up. To be clear, the system is not broken. The globally unique social phenomena of white, working-class male mass shootings in the U.S. is not an aberration or an exception to an otherwise life-affirming social order. These aren't bad apple events falling from an otherwise healthy tree. 
Gun violence in this particular form of gun violence has become a defining characteristic of American life, a defining characteristic of our liberal capitalist democracy, which is actually just a plutocracy. This social order, our present way of being in relationship politically, socially, and economically, is doing exactly what it's set up to do. It is producing exactly what it is supposed to produce. And this complex organism we live in is designed to serve the interests of a few at the top instead of everyone. And one way this system reproduces itself is by pitting members of the working class against one another as to distract us from seeing that it is this perfectly working capitalist social order that feeds upon the destruction of God's beloved creation, including you and me. And so the question we must ask ourselves as Christians is, will we simply continue to stomach our current way of economically, politically, and socially being in relationship in the world, this social order of inequalities and hierarchies, and the deadly consequences that result from it, all while telling ourselves we are not complicit, and that none of this is really our cross to bear? I'd love to jump into Mark 8, 31 through 38 right now, but I'll leave you to wrestle with the seriousness of the cross and the weight of the world I believe Jesus calls us as Christians to bear. December 14th, 2012. I walked into a church near my college campus in Anderson, Indiana. I remember walking up to the pastor's office to find the door wide open. And what's interesting is that even though we never talked after this encounter, and I can't even recall his name, I've actually never forgotten the look I saw on this person's face. The look on his face was one of shock and paralyzing grief. He seemed to have, for but a moment, shouldered the weight of the world. Barely able to lift his head, he told me that some children had just been massacred that afternoon at Sandy Hook elementary. We would later come to find that before Adam Lanza slaughtered the kids, he first put four bullets into his own mother's head. According to a recent Vox report, and at the time of my writing, since the 2012 Sandy Hook massacre, there have been not one, not ten, not a hundred, but 2,180 mass shootings in the U.S., that averages out to roughly 311 every year. The Gun Violence Archive defines a mass shooting as four or more people, excluding the shooter, being shot, but not necessarily killed, at the same general time and location. Since the 2012 Sandy Hook Massacre, there have been 2,460 human beings killed in mass shootings, and 9,125 wounded. Do you remember what you were doing the week of January 5th, 2014? Some five years and almost eight months ago? That was the last full week the U.S. went without a mass shooting. January 5th, 2014. At the time of my writing on this August day, 278 people have been killed and 1,060 have been wounded in 255 mass shootings this year, 2019, alone. By the time this episode posts, these numbers will be outdated. 
And the question that tends to pop up when mainstream media finds it profitable to sell advertisement space concerning the shootings is, why are these mass shootings happening? Because these massacres aren't just happening everywhere, nor have they happened across all time, right? These events are uniquely happening right now here in the U.S. Yet some communities are further questioning, why are the shooters almost entirely younger white males? Personally, I truly believe that lots of Christians are genuinely concerned. Some take the loss of this life very seriously and honestly want the violence to end so much so that they suggest and pursue the realization of real material responses. And so, following the week of massacres in Gilroy, California, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, I spent the week reading various responses articulated by Christians, both in book form and in articles. Some of these folks have spent decades of their lives fighting what they call the gun empire. And yet, I found their suggested responses to be seriously inadequate. In part, it's because their responses are, on one hand, emerging from a worldview that has naturalized and normalized the system of capitalism as simply the way things are, and, on the other, emerging from analyses firmly gripped by liberalism, both its self-determining individualism and its empty hope that widespread democratic power and genuine social, political, and economic equality can be realized under the class structure and values and compulsions of capitalism. Side note, when I say liberalism, I don't mean the liberal versus conservative political thing, but rather the set of assumptions and ideas associated with the Enlightenment. So self-described liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans, are actually both thinking with the philosophical assumptions and values of liberalism. But anyways... I think it's important to note that capitalism and a person's class position are not the only factors that have produced this social order. I'm not in any way suggesting we reduce the issue to an isolated economic analysis. Capitalism is one system and ideology entangled with other systems and ideologies. However, I'll come back to that later. And before we can get to part two, where we identify three, only, I mean, just three ways capitalism seems to have contributed to the emergence of these mass shootings, I want to name some common analyses and responses we hear from folks of Christian faith who, I'm assuming, genuinely want these recurring mass shootings to end. The first analysis of our very unique situation is to say that the problem can be traced to the individual heart. Whether it be the individual hearts of the shooters, the hearts of the politicians who support absurd gun legislation, the hearts of other Christians who defend or actively pursue lax gun laws, the problem is said to be the individual heart conditions of said people. And the response usually entails some kind of attempt to morally persuade or, you know, convert them with facts, prophetic judgment, or the stories of those who have been directly affected by the violence. Change the individual hearts and we can end what are seen as individual isolated acts of violence. Another proposition focuses on mental health. It's the mental health of the individual who commits the mass shooting that is the fundamental problem. 
And so the response that emerges when the media actually decides to report on the most recent mass shooting entails persuading political authorities to invest in mental health institutions or encouraging faith communities to talk about mental health more openly and take it seriously. Address our mental health and you address the emergence of these weekly mass shootings. Another assumption suggests that lax gun laws and regulations that make it wildly easy for citizens, in particular, to access military-grade weapons is the primary problem as to why these mass shootings are happening. More and more Christians will talk about the NRA or the gun empire and will say that our main issue lies in our need for gun reform, our altering of gun laws and regulations, so that these weapons of war cannot be accessed by the public. Pulpits and authors with this perspective suggest a variety of responses, um, like if these weapons were not able to be accessed, or maybe if we had greater police presence in our schools and in our hospitals and our public spaces, or if these weapons were used only by our military in other people's countries, then the root problem would be solved. The problems being public accessibility, lack of policing in our everyday lives and spaces, or the weapons not being used by the right people, the police and the military. Get the guns out of the wrong hands and into the right hands, and you've solved the problem. A fourth analysis might say it's a cultural issue, and point to our cultural obsession with violence. Whether it be located in our movies, sports, video games, YouTube, or the history of U.S. militarism. And when culture is critiqued by both liberals and conservatives, it almost always refers to culture a or non-economically, as though economics has no influence on culture. Except, of course, when consumers are shamed for internalizing consumeristic habits and desires. Still, even when our cultural consumerism is condemned, capitalism remains unnamed and untouched. The response that follows the idea that the main issue causing these mass shootings is our a-economic cultural love of violence is usually followed up with a critique of parents allowing kids to access certain video games, movies, or sports. Still, a less common but increasingly popular analysis concerns the race and or gender of the shooter, sometimes together, sometimes in isolation of one another. The responses are often condemnations of white racism, white nationalism, and hypermasculinity. While many rightfully discuss these issues as social, cultural, and structural problems rooted in systems of white and male supremacy, much of these conversations, unfortunately, also tend to neglect the influence of capitalism, let alone a Marxist analysis of one's class position. Later on, I want to talk about how capitalism is deeply entangled with hegemonic masculinity, structural white supremacy, and its ideology, whiteness. However, I think it's important to emphasize that liberal critique of white and male supremacy tends to normalize and naturalize capitalism. And I also think that it's important to note how both liberals and conservatives have at times pathologized working poor whites as white trash. Liberals and conservatives alike have, in different ways, 
proposed that working poor whites are essentially racist and essentially sexist, meaning working poor whites were born with racist and misogynistic spirits that determine their actions, thoughts, and behaviors. And ultimately, they can be no other way. Yet, when we pathologize people, when we imagine and project an essential nature, a determining nature, onto individuals we group together, whether the grouping be based on race or gender or religion or status of citizenship, we not only dehumanize them, we also let the systems and the ideologies that have profoundly shaped these human beings off the hook. And so, with a Marxian analysis, I want to suggest that Christian communities turn our attention toward the material and structural conditions in which this social phenomena has emerged. We need to critically and thoughtfully reflect upon the political, the social, the cultural, and the economic conditions in which these white, working-class male mass shootings have emerged. The issue is more than merely absurd gun laws and lax gun legislation. It's more than a personal heart issue. It's way bigger than the mental health of individuals, although all of these are very important to tend to as well. And no way in hell are these mass shootings going away with wealthy kids carrying bulletproof backpacks to school, or a greater presence of a militarized police force in our communities, or an increase of surveillance in our everyday lives in general. These things, in my opinion, will and already have terribly exacerbated the violence. If we hope to respond to the core of these, massac these massacres, we're going to have to look deeper into the conditions in which these mass shootings have emerged. And while some have helpfully named gender, sexuality, and race as fundamental components to understanding why these massacres are happening, I want to encourage Christians to add a Marxist understanding of class in terms of how one relates to the production and distribution of surplus, not in place of, but in addition to gender, sexuality, and race. White supremacy, hegemonic masculinity, and capitalism are complexly interconnected and interrelated. So our analysis as followers of the way of the cross needs to include all of these structures and ideologies, not just one or two in isolation, because each one forms and shapes and depends upon the others. But because capitalism and class positions are never discussed in Christian spaces, especially concerning these massacres, in part two, I want to name three ways in which capitalism, interlocked with heteropatriarchy and whiteness, has contributed to the creation of a world in which white working class males, by death-dealing technology, and end up slaughtering their families, their neighbors, targeted communities rendered a threat to their whiteness or their patriarchy, and oftentimes themselves. If Christian communities truly want to participate in a global movement pursuing a more holistic, life-affirming alternative world, and in particular a world without these constant mass shootings, we must thoughtfully consider the material and psychological effects the system of capitalism has on all God's creation, including the white working class male who is overwhelmingly most likely to commit these mass shootings.
friends, thanks for listening. And a special thank you to the Patreon supporters of Faith and Capital. This work would not be possible without your financial support. Thank you for believing in this work and for believing that an alternative world is possible. If you found today's episode meaningful, you can support Faith and Capital by sending an episode to a friend, posting it on your social media, leaving a review or rating on iTunes, or contributing a few bucks a month at patreon.com slash faithandcapital. We'll talk soon.